0: Welcome to Filmstrip. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504 C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Ron. I'm Lindsay. I'm Jake, and this is a review of In Bruges. <laughs> starring Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleason, Rafe Fines, Clements Posey, or Clemence Posey, Jordan Prentice, and Thekla Rauten, Written and directed by Martin McDonough, his first feature film, released in 2008 on a $15 million budget. It made 34 four, bleh, It made 34.5 million dollars and most importantly, kicked off Martin McDonough's career with a whole bushel basket full of various awards. Um, so this is the newest entry into a canon that Jay is working on called Secret Christmas Movies. And as such, <laughs> this is actually one of the movies I routinely watch in that dead period between Christmas and New Year's. So uh, before we get started with In Bruges, uh, were either of you born on a farm?
1: No. but
2: Kind of.
0: <laughs> yeah, Lindsay, you were.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, yep. Not even kind of. Yeah, I guess. Well, yeah, I was born. We had a family farm. And then my dad also like my mom had a family farm and my dad did for a while, too. So definitely born on or into farm life in my early years.
0: Well, and I'm too fat to climb up to the top of the bell tower. So we know what that makes Jay <laughs> <laughs> by, by process of elimination. Yeah. Uh,
1: <laughs> no, I, I was ever born on a farm, just spent some time on, them, lots of time outdoors and stuff, but no, never, never born on the old, uh, the old farm. Uh, also have not been to any part of Europe, but, um, I always imagine it as dreary as, uh, this town. So. <laughs> I
0: have, I have been to Europe and I have, but I have not been to Bruges. Um, so, but um, before we get started about that, what are your thoughts on the idea of the secret Christmas genre? I find this particular um, thought process of Jay's pretty fascinating.
1: I look, I blame all of it on Anthony, Julia, and Tom from Tiz the Podcast, and mostly you, Ron, <laughs> for introducing them into my life because now I just walk around like asking myself that question all the time when I see a movie and I'm like, you know, I never thought about that, but it's a Christmas movie now, all of a sudden. You know, like I just think about things like that. And so um, it, it's actually kind of a fun game to play. Um, you know, just to, like the other, uh, probably the longest running cinema game I've played in my head is like, but what if the Muppets were the cast of this? And that's a really fun game to play sometimes. <laughs> so, I, I recommend it specifically with David Cronenberg movies, <laughs> it gives them a different <laughs> lift. <laughs> all the fuzz flying.
0: So. What about you, Lindsay? Do you have any thoughts on on Secret Christmas?
2: Secret Christmas movies. I guess I've never I've never really played that game before. My, I mean, if it takes place during Christmas, it's a Christmas movie. That's them's my thoughts on it. But yeah, what isn't like the big uh, the big thing about Die Hard is that it takes place during Christmas, but it came out in the summer, right? So it's not. Mm-hmm. That's that's where the argument stems from, or something. But no, it's Christmas time in the movie. It's a Christmas movie.
0: Yeah, we're uh, tonight is teach the controversy night on Filmstrip, and where the controversy is whether or not Die Hard's a Christmas movie. Um, <laughs> that literally <laughs> I don't is think
2: a, it's a controversy.
0: That's literally a debate that will not die in the Christmas podcast community, and I have seen many, many knockdown dragouts over is X a Christmas movie is why a Christmas movie, et cetera, et cetera. So weird.
2: (laughs) Yeah, no, that's I mean, for me, it's pretty, I think, cut and dry for the most part. I haven't seen it unless it's like one Christmas scene in the entire movie. Like if it takes place over the course of a number of years and there's like one Christmas scene in it. But even then, like to me, Step Brothers is an anytime movie, but it is also a Christmas movie. Because there's Christmas scene in it.
0: Now that I had not even considered. Yeah. That's that's an interesting um, thing to throw into the Christmas canon there.
2: Yeah. yeah. Secret Christmas movie. Yeah. Step Brothers.
0: I mean, I think there, there's a
1: whole like you say there, there could be a whole sub 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 genre of this, and you could go forever on it. And um, I don't know, maybe, maybe one day we can do one of those, like change my mind, you know, type podcast where you just throw out different (laughs) movies. They're one or the other, but, um, but yeah, this one I didn't know was, and I've never seen these before. And I, I think the reason we're doing it is it's Oscar time. Martin McDonough, Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson are, um, up for a lot of you know Oscars and awards for their their latest movie, The Bans- The Banshees of Inishir. And I'm probably mis- mispronouncing that. Haven't mm-hmm. seen that. I understand it's quite good. I do want to try to catch it. Uh, I understand it's much more of a, of a drama and a very um kind of uh poignant film or whatever, which is fun. But um, I didn't know anything about this one. I have just I've seen references to it through the years, Ron. Mm-hmm. You've talked about it for years. Um and I uh I I thought, okay, you know what, finally we need to rip the band-aid off on this and, and watch it. And so uh, I mean, it's a perfect thing to do like here in the, you know, we're, we're actually recording this kind of in the doldrums of winter, even though it'll come out and, and I guess spring or whatever. But, uh, I, I think it's, it, it was fun to, to sort of dive into this and not really knowing what the story was about. I, I just kind of knew like Colin Farrell was allowed to use his natural accent. And I'm you? always for that. Cause he it did. so rarely happens okay, for the guy for me, and Jay. he's so bad at portraying other accents. that It's fun to just let him be himself every now and then. And, uh, so, and I like Brendan Gleason anyway. And then, um, I, Lindsay, you're the one that I, and I hadn't put it together, but threw in like the massive Harry Potter reference here that was going on. In and I was like, gosh, it is like a Harry Potter part three through five reunion or something going on in some of this. So, yeah. Because I only so, know, you know Clemence Posey from from uh, Goblet of Fire and Tenet, and I'm I may be the only person left on Earth that still thinks Tenet's a good movie, but I'll 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 die on that hill.
0: Yeah, but how do you feel about where the Vietnamese are going to come in t- during the race war, Jay?
1: I, oh God. <laughs> I mean, they, they, you know, I was watching this, and as it's going on, I'm going. This is obviously made in a very specific time when, like, none of this would would happen now. Like, there's no way. Like, even Rick and Morty wouldn't do this. And yeah, that you just got canceled. I know, but I mean, like, no, like, you know, South Park wouldn't touch this. There's just some. Well, they they might, but you know, there's some people who just wouldn't do certain things. And I'm like, oh, I remember when we could just have comedy, just for comedy's sake. We could be uncomfortable and weird with each other, and it's you know that. I, I have memories of being in college and, you know, when you were just sitting around and, and you weren't going to solve the world's problems, you're just going to talk about the weirdest <laughs> stuff. And I mean, you know, I, I usually centered most of mine around, you know, bad football takes, but, uh, you know, but I had other friends that had thoughts about world domination that uh, borderlined borderline uh, we, they, they're 4chan-ish. Uh, we'll just leave it at that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Lindsay? Do you have any history within Bruges?
2: No, this was the first time I watched it. Um, I knew Colin Farrell was in it, so I'm always down to watch him in something. And I've been wanting to see The Banshees of Inisherin as well, so thought this would be... Good to watch, I guess, leading up to it. So I was in and then as you mentioned, Jay, <laughs> I mentioned all of our, all of our Harry Potter actors in the movie too, which was a pleasant surprise. I wasn't expecting to see Voldemort <laughs> as I was watching the movie. I had no idea he was in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it took me a minute and I was like, wait, I, I recognize that face. What else is he in? Ha <laughs> um, Yeah, it was, it it was a movie that required me to wrap my head around it in a few different ways um, because the soundtrack really threw me off. Like, the score threw me off <laughs> pretty bad. Um, but once I got past that and, – and for the record, like, I, I like it and I, I think I see where they were going with it and we'll talk about that later, but um, – But yeah, it was, it was a journey and watching it. And to, to your point earlier, both of you, I was like, oh, you know, things were said and I had to think about for a minute is, is that okay to say anymore? I don't (laughs) think people say that anymore.
1: (laughs) They don't. Spoiler alert. They do not. (laughs) 15 years later, they, they don't uh you know the thing about uh, a movie like this that i clearly caught a, a a very specific moment in time and definitely has a has a following or whatever is i when i saw like that i watched the trailer for it before i watched the movie because i was like okay let me kind of see how this was advertised i was like oh okay comedy hitman cool i'm do that, gross point blank. Come down, you know. It's it almost mm-hmm. kind of plays a little home alone ish. I'm like, okay, this looks kind of fun, you know. And um, which sidebar, um, I still think that the the wet bandits were hitmen, and that Kevin McAllister's dad works for the mob. That was my whole underline of home alone. But that's another day on Donahue. Um, anyway, so I, I'm. I'm watching this and I'm I'm sort of going like okay so Hitman whatever they're gonna rough and shoot it up and I realized it was gonna be like they screwed up and they got sent to exile I was like they're in timeout I was like oh Hitman timeout okay I'm I'm down and then it just turned into this thing and I realized very quickly and I rarely will do this with moving. Because I want to force myself to try to pay that attention to it, but I couldn't understand half a fucking word anybody was saying, so I had to turn the subtitles on. Was I was it like,
2: subtitles I mean, on. You yeah, know, I was can. like,
1: "Look, I'll only do that for the foreign films because they deserve it." I'm like, "No, I speak English. I should." Bobby, I mean, you speak English, like I I should know this, even though it's not my tongue necessarily. And I was like, "No, I'm going to have to have the subtitles because every other word, like mumbling out of Brendan Gleeson's mouth, was just lost, and and Colin Farrell just, you know, is sort of naturally side slurred." all of his language anyway so i had to because he's drunk him. all the time he, well, yeah and he probably I yeah. mean, 2008 it's probably like me we're probably in that that era and so uh, we
2: got some yeah yeah
1: and so i was like okay i'm gonna have to have him on but that was actually kind of fun because after a while I, I didn't pay as much attention to him but normally i don't i don't go for those again on, on a an English track film. I'm, I'm going to make myself work for it. But this one, I was like, no, I can't, I can't get through it. I won't know half of what happens. And I'm not really sure I needed all the dialogue when it was said and done, but uh, here we are.
2: <laughs> it's so funny that you say that because I watched it with Brian. We watched the trailer, which by the way, the movie was not what I expected based on the trailer. And that's where half my confusion came from. But I saw the trailer and I was like, Brian, this looks like a movie you might enjoy too. So we watched it and he paused it and turned the subtitles on. And for some backstory, he hates subtitles, Mm. like will not watch something with subtitles unless it is absolutely necessary. I'll watch everything with subtitles (laughs) because I don't want to miss anything. Um, But yeah, no, he's the one that paused it and turned the subtitles on. And I was just like, yes, okay, (laughs) good.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm about halfway deaf, so I watch pretty much everything with subtitles. Yeah, Uh, except for comedy. I try to to I just turn the volume up really high on comedy because I don't want any punchlines spoiled. For
2: um, oh, that's a good point. Yeah,
0: ahead. But but I have seen this movie so often that I I know what punchlines are coming, (laughs) and that is one of the reasons why Jay gave me the arduous task of doing the plot summary. So
1: it's also your idea. So, so when you when you pick the movie, you draw the plot summary straw. That's you're,
0: <laughs> you're punishing me for my own good idea. And, and I mean, <laughs> I
1: mean I'll, it I'll is, is the film strip that. way. I mean, <laughs> you're also
2: just so good at writing plot summaries. I, they, also,
1: yes. I mean, like you're you're you are the king of plots. You're the head writer of film strip. Inc. So, are we an uh, LLC I we now? Can. I lose. I lose track.
0: Uh, I think we're. Yeah, I think we're uh, an LLC now. I think this we've, vast
1: uh, money-making venture we've had for thirteen years. Yeah.
0: This vast money-losing exercise <laughs> in futility.
1: We think it's losing faster than subscribers. So. Uh, <laughs> I don't
0: know. Maybe hair.
1: I don't know. We've had we've had more co-hosts than Spinal Tap's had drummers. So, <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> but we digress. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving all that in. I don't care.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the plot summary for In Bruges: After a hit gone bad. Beginning hitman Ray and his mentor Ken are sent to hide out by their employer Harry in the beautiful medieval city of Bruges. It's in Belgium. Belgium is in Europe. Uh, Europe is a continent on planet Earth. Um, As it turns out, while trying to shoot a priest, Ray accidentally hits a child in addition to said priest. Uh, Accidentally killing kids is not a great way to begin any career, let alone a career as a hitman. Now, the two... Assassins could not have a different take on the city of Bruges. Ken loves it. He wants to do boat tours and go look at artworks and see all the ancient buildings. But Ray, who's from Dublin and who was not born on a farm, and he's definitely not the R-word, is not so impressed. In fact, he's bored. Painfully so. He wanders around town, stumbling across a film shoot involving a dwarf actor, which makes him freak out and laugh like a child. (laughs) And in the process, he sneaks onto the set and meets Chloe, a local drug dealer slash production assistant. Now, I'm no Liam O'Donnell, so I assume most production assistants work also as drug dealers on the side during film shoots. Um, (laughs) The two go on a nice date to a restaurant where Ray runs afoul of a Canadian couple because he assumes they're American. And as such, punches the husband. (laughs) (laughs) Chloe and Ray go back to her apartment and start to make out. Then her ex-boyfriend, Eirik, bursts in and threatens Ray with a gun. Not a great idea to threaten a hitman. Ray disarms Eirik almost immediately and then shoots him in the face with a blank, blinding him. Chloe admits she robs tourists from time to time with Eirik, but Ray isn't, a, isn't one of her marks. Still, with her ex-boyfriend <laughs> clutching his bloody eyes, she has to take him to the hospital where presumably his health care will be free because it's civilized Europe and not America. Ray, (laughs) his luck turning around, finds Chloe's stash of drugs and goes off to party with Ken and Jimmy, the dwarf actor from the movie shoot. The dwarf actor who's also racist because he immediately tells Ken and Ray all about the forthcoming race war between blacks and whites and on which side every minority is going to pick. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) In the aftermath, Harry calls Ken and lets him know that Ray has to die, because shooting a child, even accidentally, is unforgivable. Ken gets a gun from one of Harry's contacts, Yuri, and tracks Ray to a park, preparing to kill him. As it turns out, Ray already has a gun and is about to kill himself, but rather than let the problem solve itself, Ken stops him. He tells Ray about Harry's order and puts him on a train to anywhere to start a new life. Ready to take the heat from Harry on himself. Ken tells Harry the truth about Ray and about Harry's cunt fucking kids, <laughs> and then Harry's <laughs> off to Bruce to spill a little blood in Europe's fairy tale city. However, Ray, being one step above an inanimate fucking object, does not exactly get off scot free. The Canadians from earlier point Ray out to the police and they drag him off to a Belgian jail, which is probably nicer than most American hotel rooms. Chloe him about. <laughs> And the two enjoy a nice drink in the shadow of the Belfry. Harry arrives in Bruges and heads towards the hotel where he is supposed to find Ken waiting. But instead, the two meet at a bar where they also sit and enjoy a drink. Harry tells Ken that if he had killed a child, he would have committed Chekhov suicide immediately. Ken argues that Ray is trying to better himself and he deserves a shot at redemption. Not wanting to have a shootout in a very touristy area, the two men climb the bell tower, where Harry pulls a gun on Ken and Ken tells him to do what you have to do. Harry, understandably, is confused by this, so instead of killing Ken in cold blood, he just kind of shoots him in the leg as punishment. Iric sees Ray at the square with Chloe, then rushes off to on him to Harry. Ken moves to stop Harry, the two scuffle, and then Harry shoots Ken in the neck. Ken drags himself to the top of the bell tower where Harry runs takes the stairs down and Ken takes the express route. He throws himself out the window and plunges to his eventual death in the plaza. He lands in the square with a splat and Ray rushes over to his side. Ken warns him about Harry's arrival, then dies. Ray rushes back to the hotel to get his gun with Harry in pursuit. The hotel's owner, Marie refuses to let the two men have their gun battle and both men, being relatively honorable, they come to an agreement. They're going to head out to the canal and shoot each other there. Ray jumps out the window and lands on a barge, drops his gun. Harry rushes out and shoots Ray from a distance. Ray struggles off the barge and finds his way to the film set. Ray collapses. Harry shows up and shoots Ray a few more times. One of the bullets misses Ray and hits Jimmy, splattering his head all over the pavement. Stunned because Jimmy is dressed as a child, Harry kills himself immediately, fulfilling his promise that if he ever shot a child, he'd off himself like Ray should have. Ray is hauled away from the scene in an ambulance, getting wheeled past Chloe, Marie, and Eirik. As Ray is loaded into the meat wagon, he reflects on the nature of hell, which to Ray is the city of Bruges. Ray declares that he really hopes he doesn't die, as credits roll.
1: Yeah, very menace to society, but, you know, not nearly as dark. though, <laughs> <No>, kind of. <laughs> Um, yeah, I just want to ask it now, both of y'all, do you think he dies into this?
2: Well, Jay, I think that depends on whether or not we consider this a comedy or a tragedy. If Shakespeare were writing it, (laughs) that I was thinking about that earlier. Um, because a lot, you don't, I mean, everybody, you know, no Shakespeare, but Say you're watching it for the very first time, a lot of his plays. You don't know if it's a comedy or a tragedy until the end. If it's a comedy, everyone gets married. If it's a tragedy, everybody dies. I think it's leaning toward tragedy, but maybe he lives and gets married and then... And then we've got comedy, gold on our hands, but
0: then he's struck then he stuck in Bruges forever and it's a tragedy again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't <laughs> maybe know. this
2: is him. <laughs> didn't they yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe he was already dead. Oh. And that was his hell. Could be. Almost well, purgatory.
1: Could be, right? Just living that over. I I did not. I mean, I knew this movie was going to be funny because, Rod, right, you told me it's like it's really funny. And I could kind of tell from the, the trailer. I was like, oh, this would be funny. I did not expect. We were gonna one that we were gonna blow Sire 9 into the priest away uh like that. I'm like, well, oh, all that was cool. And forgive me, Father, I killed somebody. You, you know, whatever. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I I would have loved to have known, but then again, I'm like, no. I love this about like this style of of movie and particularly like uk like dark comedies which i think this is what is kept cl- uh, classified as it's still like snatch and lock stock and two smoking barrels and stuff you never know the full backstory you just know or even something like layer cake you know if you haven't seen that from daniel craig it's really good um you never know the full backstory you just get dropped in it and you just have to deal with the circumstances and i love the fact that we never know why he's whacking the priest other than i mean for <laughs> other reasons right but then he, the boy gets killed and i was like it was like a record scratch in my brain. I was like, er? "I did not expect this to go there." <laughs> I was like, "Wow, we did Alien versus Predator Requiem yeah. right out of the gate here, y'all." I did not, I did not see that coming tonight. I mean, we yeah. we Spielberg that damn kid just like in Jaws.
2: <laughs> I thought I missed something. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Did we start the movie in the middle?" And I just wasn't paying attention. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, you never know why he's sent to kill the priest. You just know he's sent to kill the priest. Mm -hmm. And a terrible accident happens that is also kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, Probably because it didn't happen to us or anyone we know or to anyone in real life, which is nice. Um, But yeah, this movie really starts – the thing about this movie is it (laughs) confidently knows what it is like from the very beginning and it's going to set you up, and it's going to do – I feel like this movie sets you up from the very beginning about, oh, this is going to be that kind of movie. But it's not exactly that kind of movie, if, if you know what I mean, mm-hmm. if, if that's making any sense.
1: Yeah, no. It's, yeah. I, I referenced like, Snatch earlier that knows exactly what it mm-hmm. is, and it's going to give it to you. And it never really lets up off of the gas of what it is. Like It's just sort of a romp and kind of a – a cockney Ocean's 11 you know kind of thing and this movie is not that it's it i i do think martin mcdonough is using comedy much the way shakespeare would like you mentioned lindsay to explore the idea of what is purgatory you know, I mean, it is a, that's a very like Catholic thing, but it's permeated itself into Protestantism and, and lots of other religions, but particularly Christendom. And I, I mean, I, I myself struggle with the idea of like, what is that exactly? Like, how would that work? What are the rules? And because it's not entirely defined. And I love that he's going to use two hit men as, and their angry boss and all these just wacky people as a way to explore that idea. And I'll play my hand now, Lindsay, you talked about like, maybe he was in purgatory the whole time. I think everybody's dead. I think this whole thing is purgatory. <laughs> that's that's the joke. And, and you, and if you think about it and you go through, you're like, here's why all these people dead. This guy knocked off tourists. This guy was a horrible racist. This guy was this. These other people were just, you know, they had their own drama. They're all the hitmen. you know, the, the thieving woman, you know, all this stuff. And I'm like, every one of these people is, already dead so it's like tales from the hood spoiler alert they're dead the whole time <laughs> <You know?
2: laughs> or the entire show of lost there you go right
0: <laughs> oh, that's a good take yeah that's a, a really interesting idea it does feel very it i believe the expression is phantasmagorical it feels very much like a weird dream yeah and not yeah. just the, not just the sequences that are actively trying to look like a weird dream, like uh, the experimental film that Jimmy's shooting. Um, the whole thing yeah. kind of feels like a real weird. Like it's not necessarily from Ray's point of view, but I feel like it's from Ray's mindset because he's in this city, he's bored, but he's also wrestling with this heavy guilt that he feels. Right.
2: Well, I think What's- that's that's where I. I came to the conclusion that's how I I trued up the the score of the movie to like how it overlaid the comedy because for me, I mean, I felt like I was listening to a Downton Abbey soundtrack, right? It was very mm-hmm. like creepy but kind of old European sounding and then you have Colin Farrell, like whipping out these crazy, hilarious one-liners and just being Colin Farrell. And it didn't make sense to me at all. And then later on in the movie, when I found out, oh, he's suicidal, it felt like the goal was the music was mimicking what he felt for real inside, but he was making all of these off color jokes and comments on the outside. So then I had to go back (laughs) and say like, all right, he's saying all this stuff, but maybe the music is actually how he was feeling in that moment.
1: Yeah. I think you've hit on it is that the, the, the music is underlying what the actual emotion is. But then it's being covered by Mm -hmm. all this, you know, humor. Because that, I mean, that's what we'll do, right? Like you'll make a joke when you're having a bad day or whatever, you know, everybody everybody does that. I I didn't realize either until I did a little digging after this that Martin McDonough had done a lot of plays and things. Like that was sort of his start and he had done Broadway and Weston and all this stuff. And I started thinking about this of like, I could see this as a play and it reminded me of a play. I don't know if either of you've ever seen it or, or read it called The Last Days of Judas Iscariot. Um, which is a pretty dark play, but there's a ton of comedy in it. Um, and it's like a basically a trial in purgatory for Judas and, but the way the characters get portrayed is absolutely hilarious. Like some of them are just bonkers and it's, there's a ton of comedy in it. While all this like very serious, you portrayed the Lord, you know, it's going on in the background and it's got a little bit of like a music cue the same way. And I don't, I don't know if Martin McDonough has like seen that or cares anything about it, but it just sort of struck me as the same kind of idea of, of playing against expectation, right? Is that you have this very serious and it's also the setting too. the setting is this, it's very serious stoic and it's historic and there's all this beauty but it's kind of this ruined beauty you know like it was bombed to hell and back a couple of 300 times and so (laughs) there's like this beauty and sort of its destruction and that also lends to the idea of like oh yeah that's why this would be purgatory is that it's it was once a beautiful thing but it's just been ruined by corruption and that's what this whole thing's about I don't know I just I thought all of that was just really smart and heady and it was the kind of stuff that I realized like how how this movie has kept its following. Cause if it was just a dark comedy, it would just blow by and it'd be done. Like, okay. I referenced gross point mm-hmm. blank earlier. And that's a cute and fun movie, but I don't think about that movie very often. I mean, I thought about it tonight cause we're talking about this movie, but this one like has stuck in my head in the three weeks it's been since we watched it to review it here. And I'm like, man, I have like pondered over this sort of, side nothing movie, you know, for a lot longer than I thought I would. Like I, I haven't put this much thought into something in a while. So I don't know. I, I, I just was sort of blown away by how much it stuck with me and um, all of the little weird moments and stuff in it. But I don't think any of it's arbitrary. That's what I'm getting at It's that it all seems to be very purposeful.
0: There's, there's something to that idea that keeps coming up with Purgatory because one of the big inspirations People find for Bruges is the Harold Pinter play, The Dumbwaiter. I don't know if you've seen, either of you've seen that. I've mm-hmm. not seen The Last Days of Judas Iscariot, but I have seen The dumb waiter It's basically two guys in a room waiting around for their assignment, and mm-hmm. they they make a lot of small talk, and they can't really leave the room, and you know, blah blah blah.
2: So, I have seen that. Sorry, now that I think about oh, okay, it, I see where cool. you're going. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. But it's it's sitting and waiting, and to me, mm-hmm. the ultimate purgatory is sitting around waiting for someone else to give you something to do Mm -hmm. so i think there's a lot of stock to be put into purgatory and i think that also ties back um, both the musical cues and a lot of the they drop in little pieces of art particularly towards the end of the movie where ray is remembering the trip to the art museum where he sees all those hieronymus bosch paintings and Hieronymus, Bo- Hieronymus Bosch is definitely a guy who was really inspired by, like, purgatory and weird hell on earth. And, uh, you know, like, he's he's done some crazy paintings like the Garden of Earthly Delights and, and and stuff like that. And I feel like there's a lot of that dreamlike quality in Bosch paintings that is also reflected in, in a f- very similar way in this movie.
1: Oh, that's an excellent point. And I mean, I think it underlines what Lindsay's point is about the Carter Burwell score. And I think it's interesting that Martin McDonough has all these Europeans in this movie, right. From all over, but Carter Burwell's seriously American. Like he's Cohen brothers go to, and I mean, he's worked with him several times. He worked with Spike Jones too, but Carter Burwell has like a very specific style of music that he tends to go with. And so the fact that it, it makes sense that he would get him to do it and say, play it against what is going on on the screen, because what's really happening is this sort of theme or it's really, I, I mean, it's, it's, taking because I'm with you, Lindsay, on one hand, I'm like, this does not fit this scene at all. <laughs> like, they're having this entire racist discussion and there's this just <laughs> going underneath it. But I'm <laughs> like, but then again, it kind of does if you think about it from they're all in purgatory, you know? And uh, I don't know. I just, I found it I found it wild. Um, I also think it's funny that Martin McDonough decided that in purgatory, there would be a movie shooting where no one seemed to know what was going on. It was just happening. I'm like, I guess for a director, that would be your hell. Like it's just, we're just shooting and we don't know what's happening.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I also feel like that was in there. So uh, Martin McDonough could make a few joking references to other movies, but. uh, Right. Yeah. But that's fine. So one of the movies that's referenced is Clearly Don't Look Now, uh, which, Jay, you said you've seen. And Mm -hmm. Nicholas Rogue also did this movie Walkabout, which is basically this fever dream that takes place in the Australian outback where time is kind of a nebulous concept, right? And the whole thing about In Bruges is we have no idea. Have they been there three days? Have they been there six months? We're not really sure. We just know it's winter and gray And there's not really much difference between one day and the next, especially if you're Ray and you're just being dragged around town by uh, Ken, who is really interested in the beautiful architecture and the history of Bruges. While Ray is much more interested in Bruges as like, you know, find a bar, find a girl. And one of the people he runs into is that uh, is the film shoot, which would be interesting for pretty much anyone. Um, there was a film shoot at my college for the sci fi channel, and the star attraction was Wilfred Brimley, which was very cool. Um, <laughs> that is a story, <laughs> yes. But uh, they had some of us BPAs, and everybody else got to just kind of stand out outside and watch and, and be interested in it. Um, and Ray is hanging around on set stealing food, which some of my friends did go to the film set and steal food. Um, <laughs> and he meets Chloe. That's Clement, that's the character played by uh, Clements Posey. Um, and I know you guys didn't have don't have much history with her outside of Harry Potter, and neither do I. And honestly, this is the first time I've ever realized. Oh, that's um, Fleur Delacour from the Harry Potter <laughs> films. Um, What did you guys think of the character of Chloe and her relationship with Ray?
1: I had this whole like moment where I'm like, Jillian Flynn must've seen this movie or something too, because this is like a subplot of gone girl. (laughs) the, the, The redneck trailer park girl or whatever that, uh, uh Resman pike runs a runs a fallow for a little bit in that movie i was like oh it's very similar like i i don't know i i thought it was um I thought it was, it was neat to put her against this where she's, and I'm like, I don't believe her for a second. Like, Oh, I wasn't going to rob you. You know? I'm like, yeah, right. Yeah. (laughs) She was just sort of (laughs) better looking than maybe what they usually rolled. So she's like, well, you know, you seen Arik. eh? I mean, he clearly doesn't mind. So whatever. And so she was, I
2: told him not to.
1: Right. Yeah. just Jealous. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I thought, I thought she was funny. And, um, you know, again, I only know Flor de lacour and then the the doctor and and ten.
2: I feel like Europe has like ten actors, and they've all been in Harry Potter and every other movie that uses <laughs> right.
1: European. And actors. I'm surprised she wasn't in a Twilight too. I'm like she could have been just one of the random vamps at, in in the Breaking Dawn movies or whatever. But
0: because there's we, like five hundred sure thousand people in those. Are we sure that she wasn't? I don't think so. I
1: I can say as the twi-heart of this group, I don't think she was. I've seen (laughs) these movies a lot of times. Um, And... (laughs) Well, maybe one day on film strip. But anyway. Um, yeah, I I thought she was funny though. And I really thought the the funny bit with the Holly oh, he pulls the gun on on Colin Farrell as the hitman, and I'm like, Well, that's gonna end badly for you. And then when, when it's just full of blanks and he shoots at him anyway, because he knows what it'll do. And I'm like, Man, that is just ruthless. And but it, it makes this movie again, like inside of all of its comedy, there's these really dark, like fucked up moments. I'm like, damn, maybe blinded that dude with that
2: i love to the absolute zero percent sympathy that he received yeah. None. <laughs> talking about being blinded well it kind of sounds like it was your fault then huh
1: <laughs> but i mean that's very the, much a purgatory way. thing right it's like well you did it yourself, <laughs> you know like,
2: that's a that's on you buddy yeah you should have been better at your job
0: he he really should have.
1: Or maybe don't because rob the, people. I don't know. I mean,
0: <laughs> if you're gonna rob somebody, you have to pick the right mark. If they pick the wrong mark.
1: <laughs> Look, Eli Wallach told us years ago in the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. If you're gonna shoot, shoot. Don't talk. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a great pull. That movie we should do that movie sometime oh, so I'm we'll I'm be. all about cool. some
1: some man with no name western action. But uh, yeah. Yeah, no. Uh, talk about movies that su- subvert expectations. Clint's got a western that's a friggin' horror movie that's disguised as a western called Pell Rider. If either of you haven't seen it, I strongly recommend it. So definitely worth checking out. I think I think it lives on Tubi just you know perpetually. But um, as most good things do, by the way, I'm, uh, shout out to Tubi um, <laughs> for, for heaven. Everything cool I've watched in the last like six months. But uh,
0: yeah, Tubi rules. If you're one of our are hundred or so listeners and you haven't checked out to be now is the time <laughs> you're only, you're only the only one suffering is you.
1: Yeah. indeed much like iric here who will be suffering for eternity with his bloody eye um and there's a really like it's a good like saw movie bloody it's gnarly yeah i was like yeah "Mm, i didn't expect the that's one thing we should talk about the violence in this movie is pretty exotic like it's it's very like the foley works good with the guns Mm -hmm. and everything and i'm like it's very very like michael mann would be proud like this is good
0: yeah particularly at the end of the movie but um Yeah, I appreciate the fact that they don't shy away from the fact that guns kill people in this movie. Mm -hmm. And even a blank is dangerous, as you can see from Iric's eye. Um, Yeah. Now, I will say that maybe she wasn't planning on robbing Ray just because it's like, you know, 2008 Colin Farrell. And honestly if you look at that guy that's not the that's not a guy I would see as an easy mark
1: <laughs> Lindsay's face the podcast is a visual medium I realize but
0: that, that was just that, was, that summed it up right there
1: so, Ron your your whole point was right there so just the bat of those eyebrows <laughs> I mean
2: 2008 Colin Farrell was hot that's that's what my face was saying
0: Anybody walking around with those eyebrows is not a dude to be messed with. I, (laughs) I
1: I think Colin Farrell's kind of hot in this too. I mean, he's just—he's so fun. He's like your own little like lucky charm from hell. I mean, he's funny. You
0: could could fix him, Jay. You could fix him. (laughs) Oh man, that's his whole whole vibe.
1: Look, I would just—I would be okay being wrecked. I mean, (laughs) at that point, by that guy, because yeah
2: he could have been in any kind of movie in that time frame like and like i would say between 2005 2010 ish era and me and every single other female i know and a number of men that I know would have watched it. It doesn't matter if it was good
1: or bad. Colin Farrell's in it. It's the only way I got Rachel to watch a daredevil with me. Uh, <laughs> 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 because he was in it. <laughs> so, so, well, I mean, you know, it's been having like Drake's lost an asshole in that leather suit for two hours. <laughs> and for <Jennifer> Garner <laughs> screwing around with a nunchucks or something. So, I mean, you know, it's not that great, but he's awesome in it as, as, uh, pulls up so
2: and i uh, like his acting is is good in this movie like mm-hmm. it's really good he's not just you know the drunk irish guy with his you know thick sexy irish brogue and you know he's not just the funny guy like he's actually got some chops in this movie which was i think one of wasn't i think this was like one of his shining star kind of moments as a, as an actor well, where he, he could, do what he could do. Yeah.
0: He won the golden globe mm-hmm. for yeah him and Brendan Gleeson were both nominated. Yeah. And I feel like you can't sleep on the, the Brendan Gleeson performance either, because Mm-mm. that's a big part, especially of the latter half of the movie. Um, it,
1: it's hard to play the yeah. straight man in the comedy duo. You have to have a very, mm-hmm. like, I almost think you have to have a superior comic play the straight like if you go back and watch the Ghostbusters the original Ghostbusters movie and realize that the ge- the most genius thing in that is that Ivan Reitman told Dan Aykroyd to play the straight man. Like that that is so not Dan Aykroyd in any <laughs> intimation of himself, but that was a genius move because it's not what you expect. And Brendan Gleeson is not the straight man, but he's so good oh. at it and that's what makes him he's got so much heart. And I I just loved him in this.
2: Yeah, same with Blues Brothers. Who's mm-hmm. right? got that right? kind you of, need? Well, they're both superior I mean, comics. Yeah, they're, they're both
1: just kind of off the <laughs> you wall. Like, yeah, I think the, the music is the straight man in the Blues Brothers <laughs> movie. But uh, uh, but, uh, but but no, I mean, I love this too. And I, I wanted to ask y'all have you ever been on vacation with somebody who, like, you both agreed to go to the same place, but you want to do very <laughs> different things? And you have to do that you get a day, I get a day thing? Like, that's always a lot of fun. so.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I like, I like the museums and stuff in different places, but I don't know. I think it depends on the place. I've definitely been on a vacation where it's like spring break and I'm ready to go out and party and, uh, you know, other friend wants to go to all the museums, which ultimately is what we ended up doing one spring break. So that was super fun. (laughs) <laughs> it was really fun, like, but, it, you know, probably not what I would have chosen for myself.
0: Yeah, my only uh spring break experience was um, <laughs> we watched American Pie 2 and they go off on spring break on American Pie 2. So me and my friend Jason were like, you know what, let's rent a car and go on spring break. So we rented a car and we drove down to Tampa, which is not the best spring break location, I'll say. And we knew a guy, uh, Jason knew a guy who worked at uh, USF in Tampa, so we got to stay in their like dorms, which staying in a dorm on an empty college campus in Spring Break is also a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> and when we got there, it took all of our money to like drive down and we didn't really have any money to like party or do anything fun. And I don't think I was twenty one yet either, so that was also a reason why we couldn't go out and do hardly anything. <laughs> and also, Tampa is really strict about you can't drink on the beach. Yeah, no oh. matter your age. So well, that's was, a bummer. Like, yeah, so it was like we we went we we hung out on the beach for a little bit. And we couldn't really do much of anything, and it was very depressing.
1: <laughs> I I think I'm just blessed that my my wife and I are the kind of people that like planning a vacation really consists of where are we going and when. And that's about it. Like we just get there and figure it out. And, uh, and I'm definitely more like inclined to do the museum historical thing or whatever. But even I have a limit on that. And like Rachel has almost like no tolerance for that kind of thing. Like, she's like, yeah, it look pretty, whatever. And then she's off, to, you know, want to go walk and do something else. And so um, it's a lot of fun like that. But I did, I did have a friend once that I went somewhere with who was very much into doing – the opposite of what I was going to do. So we just decided we were young, but we were like, we're adults. I'll meet up with you later. And we just went different places and we caught up later and hung out. And it was <laughs> fine. We both had a good time. Yeah. Um, I just think it's funny that they have to, they they have the, this whole back and forth of like, you get a day and I get a day. And I, I love how Brittany Gleason's having to try to play again, <laughs> play the dad, you know, in this. And um, it took me a little bit to kind of get that, like, oh, he's supposed to be mentoring him. And in the back of my head, I'm like, well, isn't he going to have to pay for this too? because his guy screwed up like that's how that works and where I remember y'all work but if one of my people screws up like I eat that too like you know that's that's how that goes
0: and I think that's one of the reasons why um, Ken gets given the assignment to kill Ray Mm -hmm. uh, towards the middle of the movie Uh, Mm -hmm. but before we do that everyone gets to do drugs (laughs) and have a night of debauchery (laughs) with Jordan Prentice aka Jimmy the little person actor from the movie shoot. And man, talk about a dude who just walks into the movie and steals the entire scene from both of those guys. Yeah. I,
1: I immediately <laughs> gravitated toward this guy and I was like, I've seen this face. I know it's not Peter ridiculous. Who is this guy? And I realized he was in a Bloodhound gang video. And I was like, ah, oh, that's where I know you. From. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, and uh, I was, I mean, I guess you'd have to give somebody like maybe a character like this this horrendous dialogue is the only way you can get it across in a movie like this um because i mean this the again i'm not joking the diatribes he goes off on are like it's the stuff 14 is built on like it really is like it's just the most ridiculous i'm surprised he didn't talk about Demar hamlin not really being at the bills game like he pretty much talked about everything else at that point <laughs> so i I don't know what else this guy could have done to try to be more offensive. But on one hand, like while yes, it is offensive and it's it's horrible stuff he's saying, you realize it is being played for a comedy, and that everybody else in the room are thieves and murderers, and they're like, that's a little too far. <laughs> and that's what's funny about it.
2: So here's here's a fun fact that because I've got I've got Jordan Prentice's IMDB page up because I'm like, he's been in more stuff than the Bloodhound gang. He was Howard the Duck. No. Yeah. Yes. No. He is billed as Howard the
1: Duck. A famous which- extra large popcorn <laughs> out of nowhere from me, by the way. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go back in the archives. Yeah. You're, yeah. You're Ron and Lindsay go. What? <laughs> so-
2: no, I, I I I love Howard the Duck. I think I was the one that suggested Howard the Duck way back when. And
1: and his podcast is a visual medium. Lindsay even dressed the '80s part and teased the hair up.
2: I think I did, yeah. (laughs) But oh man,
1: no, I did not realize he was Howard the Duck. Well, that wow. Well, I mean, I'm surprised there's not a Howard the Duck reference in this somewhere. I guess George would have wanted a couple of bucks for it if he got it.
0: Yeah, I heard you reference my movie Howard the Duck there. I'm going to need a few hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, Martin. Yeah, yeah.
1: These Star Wars movies ain't cheap to make. So <laughs> <laughs> So I've got my forthcoming Jar Jar Binks passion project coming out. (laughs) Oh, you know, like if you think of this, (laughs) if you think of this (laughs) this dwarf character, Jimmy, as Jar Jar Binks, he is the Jar Jar of (laughs) Inbrugge. No, he's way
2: more likable than that. (laughs) Well, no, that's fair. I guess he's not really. I'm going (laughs) to get right down to it.
0: I think Irik is the Jar Jar of Ibruge because nothing ever goes right for him and yet he makes it to the end of the movie somehow.
1: These this is uh, the creepy of so, <laughs> he's always getting an eye popped did, out,
0: you know. He did have that red arm, you know. That
1: is true. Oh, that random red arm. But no, I I I again I I didn't know Jordan Prince was, was uh you know, anything else, but I, I thought the way he plays all this stuff is hilarious. And when you see him later in that restaurant with the hooker or whatever, you know, and the way he talks about it like so matter of factly, the like Colin Farrell, who's clearly just, you know, drunk and or playing it very drunk before he beats up the Canadian slash Americans at the steak dinner. Um, I, I think it's funny. So
2: Ray looks at Jimmy like like my puppy looks at the cats. He just, she just wants to play with the cats so bad, and they don't want anything to do with her. And I feel like that is exactly the dynamic at the beginning for Ray and Jimmy. Like he just wants to be Jimmy's friend so bad.
0: Right, right. It, if your puppy had cocaine, maybe the cats would be friends.
2: <laughs> uh, if if the cats had cocaine, maybe they would be friends. They They just—they don't have the energy. They're old men. (laughs) (laughs) They don't want to deal with a bumpy.
1: What's funny is is you're right about the dynamic. that run because you know raise nobody. You know right. And Jimmy's this famous person. Like even if he's the bit part in this nothing weird old movie, Dracula's friend or whatever's going on in this movie. And he, I mean, I don't, I don't understand what this movie's plot is. By the way, the movie inside of the movie—it's ridiculous. I don't think it has one. That's why again, it's it's. Director Purgatory because it just keeps changing because it it looks like a like a Michael Mann movie but then it's a period piece all of a sudden and there's like a schoolboy uniform and there's Angus Young I mean there's there's just all over the place but that's what makes it funny I could see Ray just just oh I just want to be a part of it or whatever right because I can understand that I've been starstruck a few times and it's like oh just let me hang out or whatever and then you realize like how unglamorous that really is it's I don't know it's just funny to me.
0: And I think you have something, uh, Jay, when you made the point that to be the straight man could be harder than to be the comedian. Because when, uh, when Ken does that line of cocaine and his eyes pop out like that, that is some of the funniest facial expressions yes. in any movie. That's like Marx Brothers level gurning towards the camera. It's beautiful.
1: Yes, I thought Marx Brothers, and I thought about that scene in um, Total Recall where Arnold's face bucks out. So it was Paul Verhoeven <laughs> meets the Marx Brothers,
0: and it's a brief like foray into Looney Tunes t- territory because mm-hmm. it's that level of like physical comedy. But he's also like so wired up.
1: Oh, it's like those <laughs> times when Bugs Bunny like mainlines coffee and just wigs out. You're yeah. right. I thought about that, man. That's awesome. That's, that's Mainlines a- coffee.
0: Yeah. And it's kind of like the last, like, that's kind of the moment that the movie starts to make its shift into what it's going to end up being. Mm-hmm. Because right after this is when Ken finally gets that phone call he's been waiting for from Harry. And Harry says, look, Ray screwed up. There's a lot of heat on us where he shot a priest and a child. So now he's got to die. So go to Yuri and get a gun. Yeah. And uh, how do you feel about that? Uh, that shift in tone?
1: It's pretty abrupt. I mean, it's, it's the, if we're going to follow the Shakespeare thing that, that Lindsay said out earlier, it's the big, like changing moment right before the act change. You know, it's like, oh, oh, this is this is getting serious now. Like it I don't know, it's it's uh, it's all fun and games till you know, literally somebody loses an eye and then all of a sudden it just gets really dark. And and what's <laughs> needed, I think, the way Brendan Gleason plays it too, because you can tell he's really conflicted. Like he gets it on one hand, but in the other hand, he's like, Oh, this sucks. I don't wanna do this.
0: And he does a really great job, I think, of selling that mm-hmm. ambiguity. Mm-hmm. And I also really like that when he gets the gun and he's psyching himself up for the job and he gets there and he sees Ray's got the pistol to his head and he steps in and he stops him. And I feel like that kind of ties back into your purgatory discussion from earlier because, you know, what's one of the, the mortal sins is suicide, right? Suicide. Mm-hmm. It's, okay. it's, it's better to shoot someone than to shoot yourself. Because at least one of those is forgivable and suicide, at least um, based on my loose understanding of Catholicism, is one of the big no-no's.
2: Right. Yeah, I think you're right. I hadn't thought about that when it happened in the movie. I was just like, why? Why why did you stop him? You just complicated everything. And I mean, I get that, that you know, that we don't want the movie to end right here. And that's why ultimately, you know, he had to be stopped. Mm -hmm. Or we have no ending to the movie or no, like the movie ends at what, like an hour, but, um, but that's a good point. I hadn't really thought about that.
1: It's a complication I saw play out in a 1995 Sylvester Stallone movie called Assassins. I don't know if y'all have ever seen that Richard Donner joint with uh, Julianne Moore and Antonio Banderas classing that piece of trash up, but um, <laughs> along with Donner. But in the opening of that, this isn't giving away anything really about it because we may do that one, one day, but in the opening of it, Stallone's supposed to whack this guy. It's actually the hook man from, uh, I know what she did last summer, and he can't do it because the guy's begging for his life. So he, like, you know, drops the clip out of his guns. And there's one bullet in the chamber. He lets the guy shoot himself. And, like, the guy who's paying him is like, that wasn't how that was supposed to go down. He's like giving him this whole thing. And so that flashed in my head because I've seen that stupid movie so many times when I saw this. And I'm like, I think Brendan Gleason stopped him for two reasons. His one is, no, I don't want you to do that because I don't know that I'm even going to do it. But two, I think he knows, like, if I let you do that, then I'm even in deeper water with Harry because then it's now I haven't done what I've been told to do. Like I've got to have time to figure this out. And I thought, Oh no, I thought that was kind of neat because he played really, you watch Brendan Gleeson wrestle with it. He plays it both ways in his face. Just in those like three seconds. It's like, Oh, this will solve and things. Wait a minute. No, it'll make it worse.
0: <laughs> and I feel like it also kind of ties back to the story that, that Ken tells about his wife, uh, his wife, his dead wife mm-hmm. uh, earlier, his big love. Uh, who um, is dead. And so he looks at Ray, he sees a young guy who's got everything to live for and he sees himself. He's older. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't have any family or any, any real close friends. So what does he have? He can take that bullet for somebody who has a chance to do something different and something better with his life. Uh, Cause we talked about it, right? Ken is supposed to be the mentor to to Ray. Yeah. So, Ken is going to push him off of the path that he is currently on because he knows where that path leads and it leads to you being in a ho- in a uh, hotel room in Bruges with uh, a coked up maniac uh going stir crazy. Yeah,
1: yeah, waiting for a phone call, you know, like that you're just sort of sitting there mm-hmm. biding your time and I don't know, I I I love that he's like I'm going to give you some money You got to lay low several years, you know, it'll be fine. You come back in a few years, go see this, go to that. And the Raiders doesn't know what to do with himself, clearly. Uh, But I I think that's that's a real genuine moment from Ken where he's like, I'll figure it out with Harry. And that's when you see it in his face. He's like, I'm going to shoot Harry. I'm going to have to. It's going to, I'm probably going to die doing it, but it's worth it to, you know, I'm too far gone, but maybe I can save this one, you know, kid or
0: whatever. And that leads to one of the movie's like last real comic highlights where Harry gets that phone call on Christmas and, <laughs> and Ken lets him know exactly what he thinks about him.
1: Yes, yes. Some of Brendan Gleason's best comedy right there. And Ray Fine's too. Sweet. We got to give him some credit. Like he plays the heavy a lot of times. He doesn't play the comic heavy really ever. And he's freaking hilarious doing that. Like I I love him in this. He's just he's just peppered in this movie just enough.
0: <laughs> How many times at my workplace I've wanted to yell you're an inanimate fucking object at someone. <laughs> right? <laughs>
2: Oh, man. There were some great singers, and now I can't remember any of them. So I'm glad you brought that one back up.
1: I mean, to be Especially fair, I had to be- read them in subtitles. I didn't catch half of them.
0: But, you know. That's fair. <laughs> oh, most of them probably can't be repeated on on a family podcast. Yeah. Although mm-hmm. we've already earned the explicit. I was, was going to say, uh, we're uh, way beyond that, man. Like
1: <laughs> 30 seconds in,
0: <laughs> I ruined that for us. This
1: isn't a rated R movie. We go with the rating of the movie. But no, I I. I love that he sets his, he makes his choice. And I think that's the thing about Ken is that he's kind of wanted to play both ways, you know, and he realizes that he can't anymore. And, and if let's take it that this is not purgatory, this is him making this choice. Like, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let you kill this guy because he made a mistake that he shouldn't have been in. Anyway, you're mad because he killed a priest. Why are we whacking a priest anyway? You know, like we still don't know why we did that. And so, um, yeah, so he, you know, he, he's, Cast is die. He's ready to roll with it, and I love the whole bit at the hotel with the hotel keeper. (laughs) That you know, you're not gonna have to shoot out here, and she does that a couple different times, and and I I found her to be hilarious, and so when she has to tell. um Harry where to go find Ken when he gets into town and like the way she just doesn't care like this woman absolutely doesn't care which is probably more credence to your theory again Lindsay that everybody's in purgatory because this woman clearly doesn't value her life it's already over like and I felt like so much of this reminded me of the best parts of Beetlejuice when they're in the waiting room for (laughs) death or whatever it's just sort of the bureaucracy of the afterlife I thought this is kind of playing some of the same way
2: There's been a lot. There's been a lot written about the bureaucracy of the afterlife.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> I've seen a handful.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So yeah, I don't. Man, that that is funny. The scene where, um, shoot, Ray and the hotel woman in between him and uh, Harry. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um. And they're fighting about how they're going to do it before he runs. Yeah, it's like okay, you promise though. You promise Mm -hmm. it was something like that. He promised him that he wouldn't run away.
1: A a double dog (sighs) Uh,
0: dare.
1: Bring back the Christmas motif. It's just yeah, just a little darker with guns. What did y'all think about the way that poor Ken had to had to die though? Like pretty brutal.
0: Yeah, it's it's a pretty rough one. I think uh, the movie set up so you feel like okay, these guys are going to somehow get out of this because they're a little too likable to die, mm-hmm. uh, especially Ken once he decides to do the right thing. But no, nobody's getting out of this clean.
2: Yeah, so Ken saved, um, Ken saved Ray from killing himself, and then turned around
1: and killed himself. We well, did it though. Does so it g-
2: count if you don't die on impact?
1: Well, see, I, you're doing it though, to save somebody else. So like, if you throw yourself on top so of, maybe her,
2: it cancels each other out, if you
1: throw yourself on top of a grenade in war, you're technically killing yourself, but you're doing it to save other people. Right. So it's the act Got it. that, that counts. At least that's how I understand it. But that's, what's happening here is, you know, he knows he's dead. He's been shot in the neck. It's, it's with a, you know, Colt, that's fair 9/11. yeah I mean, that's he's, true he's done so it's it's amazing he has a head actually at that point so maybe it was a nine millimeter conversion like cobra uses i don't know but either way he he's not going to make it much longer but he's realizes well if i do this i can at least give him one last warning you know and so mm-hmm. that's that's his kind of saving grace at that moment if there is such a thing the express route
0: now yes. what do you, now what do you think about um Ray's past coming back to bite him in the form of uh, Irick.
1: Oh, you knew that was coming back. Like I just I, again, I've seen Ministry Society. I'm like, you don't stomp out Aisha's cousin and it don't come back and get you. Like I knew that was. I was like, no, <laughs> that dude's coming back. Like he's 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 not good, but he's dumb, and so he's mean, and he's gonna come back with other people. And and I'll, I've also watched enough wrestling to know like that's the storyline. Like I'm I whoop you, but then I'm bringing four of my dudes, and we're doing the run in at the end of the Dusty Finish, and it's on. You know, like that's that's how this is gonna go. So. I knew that that dude was coming back uh, with a vengeance. I also thought it would be just as ineffectual and it completely is.
0: But yeah, one of the things you talked about, uh, Jay was you made a Michael Mann reference Mm. and I really love the way the gunshots sound in this movie. Yeah.
1: It's very organic
0: up on the bell tower. And then again, after, (laughs) after the, uh, the negotiation via Marie and the, <laughs> yeah. uh, in the inn,
1: yeah,
0: <laughs> especially at the canal when um, Ray jumps out the window and lands on the barge, but he hits weird and drops his gun, and then Harry rushes outside and shoot him. I thought that sounded great, and mm-hmm. I thought that was an interesting. Um, it was an interesting way to kind of disarm your hero. We've seen it a lot in movies, but we have also seen, you know. The guy miraculously grabs his gun at the last No, there's none of that. The gun just slides off and falls into the canal.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's none of this uh, dirty here. He's got the extra auto mag back at home after he you know drops the other one into the end the bay. He's got to, he's got to come back and get that. He doesn't have one anymore. And I think that's, that's the other thing too, is Ray. I, it's all, I almost wonder, cause he doesn't really scramble for it either. If that was his way of sort of subconsciously, like I'm, Letting go of the gun. Finally, I'm going to let it go, you know, at that moment. No, that's an
0: interesting take. Like, uh, do you think Ray really turns a corner and changes like himself as a result of all this?
1: No, because he's kind of the same as he was in the beginning. He hates Bruce. <laughs> he hates being here. He thinks it's hell. He just doesn't want to die because he's he just he, he loves life. He's, you know, he's like, no, I won't. Which
2: has kind of changed. Yeah, it's a little. So, but he's
1: not dour the whole time. Way. He just doesn't like his his surroundings. But he's still going to party and do what he wants to do. I mean, he really does exactly what he wants the entire movie. So,
0: I feel like he does change because I feel like Ray, uh, up to the up to the um, the second chance. That, I feel like Ray really buys into the second chance that Ken gives him and the idea of it, and he's able to let go a little bit of this guilt because, you know, you made a mistake. It happens. Not everyone's mistake results in a dead altar boy, but, you know. Yeah. uh, You know, sometimes we can't help what happens to us.
1: How about y'all think of what do you think of, of Ray Fiennes, though? Like, he, he actually means what he says. When he shoots uh, Ray several times and one of the bullets kills Jimmy, who's dressed up like, you know, miniature Angus Young. He's like, no. And, like, he, he doesn't hesitate. Like, he only stops when Ray says, don't do it. And he's like, nope, got to have principles. And he just shoots himself. I'm like, yeah. wow.
2: Well, I think Ray was trying to tell him that Jimmy wasn't actually a kid, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and. He was. You know, unfortunately, Harriet already shot him a few too many times to yeah. mention it. But yeah, man of his word.
0: It's interesting that there's there's a weird code of honor with all these guys. It kind of it keeps coming back, like like we talked about earlier. Like there may be killers and hitmen, and they may be snorting drugs with prostitutes, but hanging out with a racist manky dwarf—that's just one step too far, <laughs> you know.
2: <laughs>
0: and. You know, Harry, sure, Harry kills men and has men killed. Harry had a priest murdered, but Harry has his principles when it comes to shooting a child. Mm -hmm. And he's Mm -hmm. enforcing that on Ray. And most importantly, he enforces it on himself at the very end of the movie, which I think is an interesting um, sort of take on the idea of honor among thieves. Because, you know, Ira wasn't going to shoot himself for any reason. No,
2: no.
1: Not at all. He was just going to keep being a trouble. Definitely maker, not.
0: You know? But that leads to the scene where the snow is falling. They wheel Ray out of the middle of the street past all of his his friends and acquaintances and the people he's met that aren't dead. And they load him into the ambulance. And that leads us to the big question that we've kind of hit on a little bit, but I want a definitive answer. Does Ray live or does Ray die?
2: I think he lives.
1: I've I already told you, I think everybody's dead. This is purgatory. <laughs> I, mean, I think that's what we're being told, and this is just I the, think... the circle that they're in, you know.
0: Well, in that case, Jay, does Ray go to heaven or does Ray go to hell?
1: Or does he stay in purgatory? I think he stays in purgatory. So that's that's <laughs> the the loop is that he keeps groundhog daying
0: this. <laughs> Forever. He stays in Bruges. Yes. He
1: stays in Bruges.
2: <laughs> he can never, ever leave. Mm-hmm.
0: I personally feel like Ray lives and goes on to become a changed man for at least six months. Then he gets bored. <laughs> <laughs> it goes back to uh, contract killing for whoever replaces Harry.
1: Yeah. Maybe Dan Aykroyd from uh, Gross Point Blank. You know? so. <laughs> Or, or at least, you know, John Cusack and Joan.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. oh, uh, Great. That's good stuff, Jay. All right. So that brings us to the point of the show where we talk about our final thoughts, our recommendations, and give out our popcorn ratings. Lindsay, what are yours for In Bruges?
2: Well, this one is... I don't know. I'm still... I'm still thinking about it, and Jay. I think I probably watched it about three weeks ago too, and I've been thinking about it the whole time. So my first like knee jerk reaction after I finished was, "This is uh, you know, I mean, it's not my favorite movie that I've ever seen, but I'd give it a solid medium." And then I kept thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about all the performances and the music and how weird it was. But, like, it's the kind of weird that I like. And I think I have to give it a large. But it's an embattled large. I really wanted to give it a medium. But I think that's what I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with a large on this one. I really liked all the acting performances, really. And it was just, like, I think, Jay, you hit it right on the head where you said this is a movie that knows exactly what it is. And the second part of that thought for me is it knows exactly what it is, and it doesn't really care if you know exactly what it is. (laughs) So (laughs) I can dig it. I can dig that kind of uh, confidence. So I'm going to go with Large.
1: Yeah, if this movie was a band, it would be Radiohead. Um, didn't care if you buy it or listen to it or like it. In fact, whatever, <laughs> it really doesn't care. It's just going to be what it is. And I think the thing that elevates it for me, because I'm with you, Lindsay, I watched it. And I was like, ah, okay, cool. Medium popcorn. That was what I wrote down. Mm-hmm. And then I started, I mean, again, I've thought about this incessantly for 20 something days. And I'm like, okay, that says something that, and I haven't gone back and rewatched it. I just sort of replayed it and thought about it and thought about it. And he's like, Oh, yeah, that's really interesting. and Brendan Gleeson is the straight man. And you know, all this stuff, you know, that we've kind of gone over tonight. And I'm like, that elevates this movie to a different place. You know, even if, if I don't, Necessarily want to put it in the same line as everything else, but I you know I feel like we do these ratings and stuff, but we're never I'm never really rating one movie against another one it, it, unless they're in like the same series or something. And so this this movie isn't like a Friday the Thirteenth sequel or something I can compare it to you know the Adventures of Roy or whatever you know, Kane Hodder's doing or whatever. Um, this this movie is just what it is, and again, it's like a Radiohead album. It doesn't give a damn if you like it or not. It's what they want to do, and um, and because it leaves you thinking about it, it leaves me. Thinking thinking about it a lot more. I have to elevate it a little bit. So I'd definitely say if you're like me and you missed this one somehow, you didn't see it, gosh, go see it. Goodness gracious. And I do think it's fun to watch with people and just go like have some coffee afterward and talk about all of it. There's so much of it to, to dissect, but it's one that'll leave you thinking. So that's large popcorn for me.
0: And I'm going to join you guys with the large popcorn um, as the person who's seen the movie the most in the podcast and who's watched it quite a bit. Uh, I'm a big fan of it. I do like some of the takes we've gotten to talk about today. And I do like some of the thoughtfulness of the movie. But to me, the thing about the movie that kind of hits home the most is that it captures that kind of weird, it's no longer Christmas or new years. It's still cold and dreary and weird. That strange, timeless doldrum that happens like, after Christmas, before New Year's, and then from <laughs> New Year's until about March. It's just a weird, nebulous, gray, cold, not entirely pleasant time where everything blends into itself and the the world kind of feels like it's at a standstill and it feels like it's kind of dead and gray, I guess. like It's like the... the stone ruins of Bruges in that it's cold and lifeless but can still contain some element of beauty mm-hmm. but it's not a living vital beauty it's the it's a sterile sort of beauty as a form not beauty as a, as a function I guess um, but yeah uh, all that uh, obnoxious artsy bullshit to say Uh, I will definitely join you guys in the large popcorn club and if you have not seen this movie like my two co-hosts you 100% need to check it out Uh, so before we close things down does anyone have anything they would like to plug social medias twitters fun exciting events um, trips to various dead European cities (laughs) etc
1: (laughs) I have none of those things in my near future.
2: (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Going into Philly soon. So that's, that's basically. That's its own set of purgatory. (laughs) I I
0: know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Philadelphia will definitely impress you if you were born on a farm or have (laughs) mental deficiencies. (laughs) Well played. (laughs) (sighs) But yes. uh, Speaking of social media, you can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Mastodon, Hive, any social media outlet at Filmstrip Pod. You can find us at Linktree. Uh, Our Linktree is also Filmstrip Pod you can find us on facebook you can find us on all the social media stuff at Pod. some of it's more active than others if there is a social media account that i have not created a profile for that you think i should please let me know reach out to the show through one of the ones we actually have and i can get that taken care of um so yeah i have nothing to plug i have nothing to promote. Just like, rate, and review the show. Give it five stars. Leave a nice review. And most importantly, tell all your friends to check it out. Jay and Lindsay, I'm Ron. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, filmstrippodcast.com. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17.